Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the professor, the fish that's going to Pittsburgh. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? <laughs> I always think of uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Remember uh, Kevin Pollack and that thing you do? <laughs> that's right. When he plays like the local radio DJ, yeah. Pittsburgh. <laughs> that's always what I think of when I go there. And and the film uh, Gung Ho with Michael mm. Keaton <laughs> when the Japanese automaker comes to a small, sleepy Pittsburgh town and tries to take over. Pretty good movie. Yeah. So not, I, I believe it's uh, The Dark Knight or uh, Concussion. Those aren't the two Pittsburgh films for you? No, it's Dark Knight too. I mean, Heinz Ward standing yeah. there when the field <laughs> falls apart is pretty iconic, I would say. No, I've I've been to Pittsburgh a thousand times, yeah. um, and I actually quite like that city. And it's got a lot of interesting pockets. And I mean, their food is like dangerous oh. for me, but it's you know it's the only city in America where you can like easily order like oh I'll have a pierogi grilled cheese I guess <laughs> you know yeah um, which is awesome <laughs> but you don't want to play after housing a pierogi grilled cheese so it's a 100%. delicate balance. Um, but no, I quite like it. I'm look, looking forward to the show, you know. But so if you're in Pittsburgh on Sunday, 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 head on down and uh, see Benny do his Pittsburgh, thing. Pitt, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, down in Pittsburgh. Oh, a little anti-flag, little Christina Aguilera hometown. Got a little bunch of everything over there. Is that the big two you came up with? Anti-flag. Uh, that, that, that was just off, all, off the off the top okay. of the dome. That's pretty good. Who else? Mac Miller. That's yeah, nice um, one. Um. Wiz Khalifa. There's got to be like like a Steely Dan or like I yeah. bet like one of the good 70s bands had to be yeah. from Pittsburgh. If anyone knows, like chime oh. in. I'm curious. That's oh, I'm another asking. thing I think of with Pittsburgh is yeah. uh, the Deer Hunter. Oh, you know, oh, I know God. they weren't in Pittsburgh, but yeah. they're like out there. They're Steelers people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but, uh, but this weekend I'll go see Alkaline Trio. I'll go mm. see the Interrupters. Big show. Dave House is playing. Sincere Engineer. Good group. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be nice. Use promo code Benny. No, just kidding. Yeah. None yeah. of that. None of that. But what's up, dude? How's it going? That's it, man. Getting That's ready it. for the show. Taking care of the seeds. Taking care of my lawn. You know how it um, is. Fighting the fight out here. So the seeds was lawn care, not about your children. Got it. Moving on. Yeah, I'm deep <laughs> like that, man. It's layers. Take it how you want. It's like a song. Oh, I will. I will. Each and every day. And you want to know what segment each and every time is a bunch of layers and like a song? Let me guess. Is it this day in music history? Thank you for the delay. Yes, it is. <laughs> Almost couldn't find that button. What do you got? All right. You're going to love me for this. Please, please, please. This day in 1973 at a dance party in the Bronx, DJ Cool Herc played a set with instrumental breaks that his friend emceed over marking what many consider the beginning of hip hop. Now, the thing I love about this story always, like it's been well-documented this, like, like how, how often can you literally like tie the birthplace of a type of music to one party? You know what I mean? Like, like the one and the, the people lucky, like there are people who can actually sit there and be like, you know what? I was there. I was dancing apparently when like hip hop was birthed in 1973. And to top it off, the other thing that's cool is like, you know, historically you'd be like DJ Cool Herc is probably some like 
big local known people. He was 16 years old. His name was Clive Campbell. He was just known as Hercules because he was big and he was throwing the party to raise money to buy his sister clothes for school. And it was in like the basement of an apartment complex. Like I just love that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know. It's just a, a great story that came out of there and the birth, the birthplace of hip hop in one place. What I love about that is I have that as a whole ass topic and you're just like, let's just roll the dice at the beginning of it. But uh, I, I thought I was just teeing you up. I thought <laughs> oh, there's, there's oh, plenty of meat. Oh, here. You don't want me to meat. get into a uh, John Lennon talking about Jesus and the Beatles. You want me to just get right into it today? No funny business. Listen, whatever, whatever the listeners want. I'm here for oh. the people, Denny. What do you All think? Right. You're the, uh, you're the radio producer. That's right. Well, yes. Um, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, uh, what's it called? Hit pause on the hip hop. Go with uh, okay, well, 19 because we're coming back to it in two Keep seconds. This day in music history, going. that's right, that's All right. right. Uh, on this day in 1966, at a press conference held at the Astor Hotel in Chicago, John Lennon apologized for his remarks that the Beatles were quote more popular than Jesus. Lennon told the reporters, "I wasn't saying the Beatles are God or better than God or Jesus." I don't think he said it like that. That was just my own interpretation. <laughs> um, I said Beatles because it's easy for me to talk about the Beatles. I could have said TV or cinema, motor cars, or anything popular, and I wouldn't, and I would have gotten away with it. So this day, <laughs> 1966, uh, soft move from John Lennon. Oh, what reeling it back? Soft move? Yeah, soft move. Soft you know, move, right? Yeah. Listen, you know, someone in that. In that group, someone in that camp had to be a capitalist, you know, and John Lennon maybe had some payments. He also probably had like parents, maybe like grandparents or something who were like super into the church and just kind of like felt bad. He was still a white dude from England. So like turning your back completely on Jesus in the church, you know, like you're probably scoffing your whole local community and your your grand and stuff like that. I bet. I bet this is a softer landing than you think. Mm. Like, I bet this wasn't pressure from the outside, but this was like a Thanksgiving dinner or not Thanksgiving, rather, uh, like a bank holiday dinner, excuse me, (laughs) with his gran where she brought it up and he felt bad and then he reeled it back. I'm going to give John Lennon some credit today. I need to know this in, in, in terms of music and stuff like that. I have not seen, I don't think in my lifetime, I don't think I've seen a band do a press conference like they're like the Heatles after like game six, like just sitting up there answering questions. At what age or when do you think that stopped happening? Because I I, I need to know the Mason Dixon line here. It's a good question. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. That like that 60s thing where the band comes up for the press conference like you got to face the music boys you know like wow yeah it's a different world i mean maybe it's just indicative of how much more like you know labels and people with power in the business had people by the balls you know like like you can kind of run your own gamut now and back then if you didn't play that game i think you would have been like culturally black bagged you know so yeah 
It's they a, rented a whole hotel ballroom for them. Now they'd be now. There's no way that the suits would be like, oh, we're gonna rent out a ballroom for John Lennon to nah. talk to the media. You get two questions on a Zoom with Ringo <laughs> Starr. That's what you get now. That's yeah. all you get. That's, That's all, all the publicists will give you. Uh, well, the publicists have been working overtime for this Hip Hop 50. Uh, Benny mentioned it just moments ago, but on this day, 1973, also Hip Hop was born. Uh, the woman that threw the party, Cindy Campbell, a yeah. Jersey City resident who was Come you know, on. up in the Bronx. Uh, she hosted it at 1520 Sedwick Avenue up in the Bronx. Um, and in classic music industry stuff, uh, the cover for this party, girls paid 25 cents, boys paid 50 because, of course, um, and... Her, yeah, as you said, her her, her brother, uh, who the community knew because he would just like always have his speakers and everything pulled up. And as I say, the rest is history. Um, yeah, no, just a, a incredible thing. A back to school jam, as it was labeled on August 11, 1973, kicked off hip hop and had a ripple effect that we're still feeling to this day. So, Benny, I, I, I want to because this is a very important day. Um, I want to break this down in three parts. In 1973, you know, we're coming off the social justice era uh, into the 70s where New York was broken, stuff like that. What do you think something like this meant for uh, the past then? And then kind of as this goes forward into the 90s and this all all explodes, what do you think were the instrumental pieces that kind of led to culture, at least modern culture, changing forever? Well, I mean, no, no. I guess you got to look, you know, the, the, you know, hip hop existed for quite a while before anybody knew what it was. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this was 1973 and we have a good 10 to 12 years before you're seeing like what LL Cool J, um, you know, some of the first people who started getting put on TV run DMC um, who were, you know, getting video coverage and mainstream coverage. And it started moving a different way. I mean, I guess it kind of correlates with MTV, you yeah. know, when you, when you actually think back historically, because, you know, for someone like me sitting in my room, like I didn't really know what hip hop was until I saw, you know, a set of Adidas kicked through the wall with Steven Tyler and Aerosmith, you know, like that was, you know, the connection to a lot of people. And then there is the Beastie Boys mm -hmm. who can probably be credited a lot with, again, taking people like us, you know what I mean? And getting us interested in a different cultural art form. And they did it in a way that was very unique to them. And I think, uh, you know, they towed the line well enough that it never looked awful you know yeah. I, not to me anyway um so i think that was like the first delineation and then you have kind of the second delineation which i think is almost the introduction of the west coast you go from nwa to public enemy and then that moves again into like the the massive success of like dr dre and snoop and tupac and all of that like you know, and that coincided with what was going on in the East Coast with, you know, Biggie and Nas and, you know, uh, Wu-Tang Clan and everything that spread from that. So, like, 
you know, just these iconic figures too. And I think we've discussed it on this show before. The reason why the most successful musicians who have ever become actors are always hip hop stars, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because they're like, they're characters. You know, they present themselves often as like larger than life characters. And there's like a stage persona and a a musical persona that's not exactly the person. And, you know, that plays well when like all of a sudden Tupac's in a movie, Queen Latifah's in a movie. Doesn't play as well if it's like, oh, Brendan Flowers is in a movie. You know, it just doesn't work. So then there was that introduction, too. I mean, we literally had the pop culture reckoning where it was not only music, it was also film, you know, um, and, and other mediums that started taking a hold there. And then from there, I mean, that's what's funny about it is like hip hop's getting so old as a cultural art form that you have people who never moved out of their decades, you know, so you do see a lot of like 40 and 50 year old hip hop fans wearing Timberlands and, and, saying that everything new sucks and then you have like these new hip-hop fans you know dissing uh you know eric b on rakim as if you were dissing like you know uh the beach boys or like or the beatles in a rock and roll argument like the weird like microcosm pocket kind of shitty arguments about what is the art form what's true what's not is such a narrative now right that uh I think it's it's that's when an art form becomes like bigger than itself. It's just part of the thing. And now I think like it's so intertwined with just like pop music at this point that, you know, it's the same as like rock became where, you know, um, a pop star can just be performing like basically a stripped down version of a rock song. And a lot of pop stars now are just performing stripped down versions of hip hop songs. So you know, to me, in that very long-winded answer, that's some version of the of the line that happened. How did I do? Oh, you did great. It the seemed only... thorough. I was it in the middle of it. I'm like, thorough. is this too I was thorough? Like, I was like, oh my gosh! Like, is Benny writing a book? I was like, do I have I'm not even worried? reading. This is just <laughs> yeah, off yeah, the yeah, dome yeah. right now. It's, oh, geez. it's so funny when it, it comes to hip hop, though, because it's like when when the mediums shift, you know, when, when we, when TV and everything is introduced, we get the Beatles and this was at the right time that when the internet comes about and people are taking everything off of like LimeWire and stuff becomes free, you kind of get like sample culture and everything like that. So it it, it was the perfect music for the perfect time when, I mean, granted it, it had to mature into the internet age, but I also think having it available once he, internet matured and everything like that and accessible the access there was key because it's always been something and as as music grows it becomes inaccessible and we're starting to see that now Mm. though and it changed forms again with the rise of like different social media so it's gonna be interesting to see in like 10 to 15 years what's the musical form that comes out of this rise of young people being on like tiktok and instagram and and all that stuff all, all the time like what's I don't know if it's just like we just live in like mashup culture. If we live in this weird nostalgia era where like, you know, we like we've talked a lot about the interpolation. If that just comes back and everything. I don't know if if you saw this, but like Olivia Rodrigo just put out a song today and like she sounds like Madonna, like Lower East Side, like punk pop a little bit. And I'm like, what's happening here? Yeah. 
No, and then even uh, even my wife was uh, pointing out the other day, you know, we had like a, a, a waitress in a restaurant we were at with my family. And she's like, this girl dresses like exactly how I dressed in the 90s. <laughs> like, you know, and there is that cyclical every 20, 30 years, you know, like things come back and they come back around just like, you know, the 70s got super cool you know, in the nineties and stuff like that. And like, you know, that's, that's almost like where grunge came from the fact that people accepted the seventies again. So, you know, there's always that cyclical thing with that and everything's going to come back. Like, um, and I think it's already happened in hip hop, which is great. You know, there was like an era of hip hop that was very, uh, chorus driven and kind of sample driven and it was getting poppy. And then there was like, another era of like backpack graffiti hip-hop like here we are again so it's already gone in waves and that's kind of the point i was making before about you know it being such a massive uh cultural product now that like the waves of it have gone through so many different things that it's just like it's just part of the thing now it's just part of the whole the whole fabric you know um i'm here for it i mean i've been like on board since i was a kid i remember convincing my father to buy me the boys in the hood soundtrack uh even though it had a parental advisory sticker on it (laughs) thank you tipper gore and uh you you know that and like it really was like illuminating to me because the only stuff i knew at that point you know was like pretty mainstream hip-hop stuff and you know, the beastie boys like throwing pies at each other and run DMC jumping through walls. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting as a grown adult, as a man in, in his 40s now who's doing the family. And I, you know, think I have some wisdom about what this whole journey is all about now and what I hope for for people and stuff. Just the other day, I'm, I'm listening to Mob Deep Shook Ones Part 2, <laughs> yeah. which is one of my favorite all-time hip-hop songs and i've listened to it hundreds of times and this is the first time i'm really like thinking i'm like fuck this is 17 year old kids telling really fucking sad stories you know what i mean like 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 i'm seeing in a different context now is which is like that messaging which i once found i guess cool kind of and maybe romantic when i was younger Now that I got my wits about me more as an adult, I do see it as more of like, shit, it's almost like a cry for help. It's like this 17-year-old kid telling you like these awful things they got to do just to survive. And it's like, fuck, this is heavy if you decide to take it a certain way. And, you know, I think uh, that's, to me, that's like an interesting perspective that's happened with hip hop for me. A hundred percent. And then like the figures, you know, like you talk about that stuff and like, uh, you know, like the stuff that Jay-Z and Biggie were talking about aren't so much in, in hip hop as is, and, and this is an angle we love to go as it's been more corporatized. Like you're not going to hear like the kid that like made the track in his bedroom, like Kanye right. making college dropout over here in Newark, like like the they're going to be like, oh, do you want to do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to appeal to white America? And that's like the other crazy thing. When I started working in radio on on like the music side of things it was like you had your pop and then you had your like quote-unquote urban channels which is like okay then i had your rock channels but now 
Uh, I mean, there's still some holdouts in some parts of the country, but now like you, you'll hear like a a like post Malone or like you'll hear like 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 a J. Cole song on like a top 40 channel, which is like interesting how I don't know if it's because they're like, listen, you can't censor kids or uh, protect them from ideas in the age of the Internet. So like, let's just spring for the cash. Um, I think it's very good, you know, when you have, uh, you know, kids being exposed to all of this stuff and this ideas um because it's it, it's not the corporation's uh area to like censor the stuff right if, if something's popular and it sells put it on the radio i mean sure. you can't hear, have f-bombs on z100 I, <laughs> I understand that but there's a happy medium yeah 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 i mean that you know can, can there be anything that exists for a lot of people before somebody not that interested started making tons of money off of it you know <laughs> Do I think everybody that makes money off my band likes rock and roll music? No, I do not. Yeah, yeah where do we stand? Like uh, Jimmy Iovine, who is very much like, no, 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 no. That's a left third. I, <laughs> I where know. do I? No, no, piece no, of I, shit, no, Petty. No, no, I'm thinking that. about it because he's he's like attached to Petty. He's attached to Stevie Nicks. He's attached to Bruce, and then he comes in. He yeah, sees in the this thing game growing. Too. Yeah. And he made, and he, you, you say I made a left turn. He made an entire left turn and profited off of something. I don't know. I don't want to. Here's get the thing. I, you know what? I do have some insight into this. Okay. Listen, like the best managers, the best engineers and producers, a lot of times, literally, it just comes down to taste. Yeah. And you do have to be like, in order to understand what's going to come next, you have to be a student of the thing. And you have to understand its ebbs and flows and its waves. So I'm not going to take away complete credit to people who always attach themselves to really good things. There is a skill in that. You have to understand culture and you have to understand taste. I'm not saying there's like zero skill in it whatsoever. The thing I reject about it is how much credit some of these fucking people take. You know what I mean? Because... The thing you always have to remember is they're lurking in the shadows of someone else who's actually creating it. And that's the people who are actually doing it. And I think a lot of the times it's been a fun thing for the industry to really place themselves as puppet masters where this genius was unlocked because of me. I happen to think the genius would unlock itself one way or the other. And you just happen to be smart enough to jump on a good thing so that's kind of what i where i would stand on a jimmy iovine i love it i love it all right let's move on shall we let, let's uh, i i can feel benny sweating all the way over here all right so let's move on to uh you know the writer's strike you know we've talked about this a, a, a update on a story that we've been doing a bunch of summer uh the writer's guild of america strike the hollywood strike as it's uh, become known now has hit day 101 and they're finally getting back to the table uh, both sides have remained at odds over important issues during the writer's strike uh, those issues include viewership based streaming residuals a minimum staffing level in tv writers room a guaranteed minimum number of weeks of work for tv writers all of the stuff for people trying to get a a living wage to create some of your favorite shows and stuff like that. Um, as it, it's been interesting to see the impact of uh, the SAG after getting in on, on this and, and making and being able to garner the media attention that I think a, a story like this requires. Uh, but the WGA, the, the union that started it all and the producers 
are getting back at the table. Um, not quite sure what gets done here. You know, I, I like you know that the studios are going to try to hang on to as much as they possibly can. Um, but and allegedly haven't talked to each other, which is, you know, you kind of want to be on the same page if you're going to collectively bargain. So uh, do you think it's a good sign, good sign that uh, things are thawing and they're getting back to the table? Of course. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's what I want. Like I want it. I, I, things like this, I just wish weren't things. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to enjoy <laughs> yeah. watching TV without feeling bad. You know <laughs> what I mean? But I do feel bad because they need better contracts. And, you know, I think the things they're asking for seem, seem pretty reasonable. I'm not like extremely well versed on it, but it's like, mm. you know, the, you know, I'll always almost go to the, to the idea in something like this, that there's plenty for, for very few and, and not a lot for most, uh, even in this world where some people, so, you know, essentially what I see here is artists asking for a bigger chunk of art. Um, you know, of course, corporatized art, but it is what it is. So uh, I want to see it go to the table and them get what they want and this be over with as soon as possible. So hopefully that's a step towards that. Yeah. Hope, hopefully that happens as well. You um, know, I, I'm a former SAC after member, you know, I, know, I pay my we... dues. You can't appear on the late night shows without being a well, well, you can appear. You can't get paid from the late night shows unless you pay your SAG after dues. So I, was, I, uh, I am a former member, you know, I was expecting when we started this to get black bag. But apparently SAG after was like, boy, you're good. You're All right. Good. <laughs> Speaking of big money, Benny, do you want to keep this is going to be the big money conversation? <laughs> this is too funny. I want to talk about it. It's too funny. What? The lottery? Elon oh, Musk? we're going lottery Which first. Oh, I thought one? we were talking yeah. about billionaires beating each other up oh, first. We will. Okay. We will. All right, let's go to the lottery. In, in okay. All right. Danny, okay. somebody won $1.5 billion with a B dollars in the Mega Millions Woo. jackpot on Tuesday night. Uh, if that's you at home and, and you haven't checked the news, your winning lottery Woo. number was 13, 19, 20, 32, 33. 14, which I'm pissed about. Yeah, that's some are... of my roulette numbers. That's yeah, pretty good, actually. Me too. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. When you do roulette numbers, yeah. I, I go... Four for my girlfriend, because that's her lucky number, birthday, right? Then I do eight, 14, 32, 23 for Jordan, 34. So I do that across the board. So I go Giannis, Kareem, Jordan, Thierry Henry, Clint Dempsey, girlfriend's lucky number. What? What's your it. logic? I'm not giving all of them. Because I think that's just like bad juju to the gambling gods. It's just like, it's just but like what... I will relate with you that a lot of mine are based on basketball. <laughs> 33 is because of Patrick Ewing. Oh, Patrick Ewing. 100%. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do try to keep some LeBron numbers on the board. Oh. And always, just because I'm a punk rocker, lucky 13, man. Black cat, you know, like, always got to get played. Um, so, but, you know, my my kids are in play uh random oh, wow. new jersey nets you know like like there's some funky stuff to the logic <laughs> i'm not giving it all up fuck that oh. um you know maybe i'm not as super superstitious as benny is i had uh I, I had 32 for a while not because of magic but because that was jimmy butler's marquette number there you go so, so, there you, know, you, go. you gotta, for me it, it, it's funnier just because like 
it has to do with more of these like random people. Some of them that I've met, but most of them, it's yeah. like, oh, like they they made one shot one time, and I'm like roulette. Give it oh, to me totally. No, it's hilarious when I'm sitting at a roulette table around like seven other people, <laughs> and I hit on Quincy Doobie. You know, which <laughs> oh my god, it's happened. Dude, it's happened. Him, oh my gosh, back in the day, him versus Chris Thomas in these. Oh, like, I love Doobie, Monday. Quincy Doobie. <laughs> oh, oh one of my favorite Scarlet Knights of all oh. time. The, the, this podcast is slowly devolving into dudes naming old players, which yeah. is like a, a too, if I start going into <laughs> 90s Rutgers basketball, which I can do, it's going to get real Jersey real fast. But my main right. question for this, why yeah. I brought, if, if, if you won a cool 1.5 bill, would your life change or would you fly so under the radar and only make small life upgrades at a time? I got to say, I I've, I've thought about this a lot. I've read about it a lot because statistically there's a lot of strange correlations to winning money like this. Normally not good. So I would honestly, I think you cannot maintain your life anymore if you are pocketing $1.5 billion. So Hmm. I think it's naive to think you can just go back home, send your kids to school do your shit, have normal conversations with people as if nothing happened. No fucking way. (laughs) And also on top of that, you're going to, you're now like viewed at as a lot of people as a resource. Ah, this is now someone who can invest in my thing. This is someone who's good to know. I bet they'll throw good parties with great cheese. (laughs) You know, like, like there's a lot of like weird things where like, I don't know, like, there might be a core of people, but but for ancillary people, I think you'd have to, there's probably sown mistrust and probably pretty fast. And I think that's why when this happens, people are removed from their normal life and put in to the life of a one percenter, which is quite different and kind of lonely and weird. And like, uh, you know, I even uh, listened to a podcast interview once with a shrink who exclusively works with the one percent. And they even talked about that. And one of the things about living that lifestyle is it's incredibly isolating because very few people share your life and your lifestyle now. And now you're just like in this group of people you kind of didn't ask for. So to answer your question, I think I'd try to get rid of it as fast as possible. Brewster's million style. (laughs) I'd give quite a bit of away because it's just like, too much fucking money. Yeah. So I'd pick like some great organizations and maybe even start one just so it's a self-propelling kind of thing that can keep moving as the years go on with a sort of endless bank, you know? Um, but then like, like just have funny money for a while and go crazy and just get rid of it and then get back to your normal life. I think that's the way to go, you know? Well, when we show up in a tricked out podcast studio next week, he'll be like, oh, Benny. Well, OK, OK, yeah. a little, little Brewster's Millions action. Yeah, I'm not tune. trying to leave like <laughs> generational wealth to my children. Get the fuck out of here. The world is burning. Let's have some fun. Let's just have the most insane year of our lives. Come on, kids. Let's go. Oh, man. I'm uh... That one's not getting clipped. They're not going to want to revisit that one. All right. Well, speaking of the world is burning, lack of generational wealth, maybe after this, uh, we've got a couple of billionaires wanted to duke it out. That's right. Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have not abandoned their talks for a mixed martial arts fight, which is just a 
mind fuck of a sentence to say. Uh, the pair are aiming to hold their historic fight at the Coliseum, which it's like, come on, like at least go to the okay. Oh, all right, look, let me finish this and then I'll get to the thing. On Friday morning, Musk posted on S that the intention is to hold the fight in, quote, ancient Rome. They've even roped in Dana White to the whole thing uh, as he's trying to secure everything happening. So a bunch of rich guys fighting, a bunch of burn it to the ground money happening right there. Uh, what do you make of uh, Musk, Zuckerberg, PPV at the Coliseum? All right, so there's two parts of me, right? I mean, this might just be two parts of humanity, if we're all honest. And there's the one part that's like, I want to watch these guys fight each other, <laughs> like, like a, like the, 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 the hallway in school, fight, 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 and I want to see who's tougher. I want to see who wins. I want to see one of them just get beat up real bad, kind of Elon Musk a little bit at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, so there's one part of me that's like, yeah, fun. Let these guys fight. The realistic part of me doesn't think it's going to happen because like, you know, they have PR teams. Somebody is going to look awful. And in the remember, like when uh, Ted Cruz and Jimmy Kimmel played one on one. Yeah, nobody won that. You know what I mean? Nobody yeah. walked away from that going like, yo, Cruz Cabal. He looked good. <laughs> like, it just looked like old, fat guys who don't really know how to play basketball kind of trying to play basketball. Yeah. And so I this this is like a bad look all around from a publicity standpoint and all that, like even if you're raising money. Then there's another side of me. You know this side of me, which is the total killjoy. The reason why I'm not that fun to be around as much as you would think is like, this is bad for society. Yeah. This is very idiocracy. <laughs> when I heard about this, I just thought about Terry Crews, <laughs> Mountain Dew, Hector Mountain Dew Camacho riding in on a quad, like fighting like the new Iranian president, like who calls himself like the Persian prince. And, and this is how we're going to solve like nuclear situations or something is like this. It's kind of another step towards that and sort of the commodification of violence and how dumb we are. Um, so there's a stupid part of me that really wants to see this. And then there's another part of me that is so sad that it's even a thing. Yeah. No, it's 100% sad. This is the gauntlet of human emotion here. My... My entire thinking about this is like we went from a, a Roman Empire society where like they would put the dregs in there, the people that they wanted to discard. And now we're putting our riches in the middle of like combat. What? For attention? So and over the course of this entire span of time, it's gone from, oh, people want to be wealthy. that They want to rise up through like war and sacrifice in their life to now we will do anything for attention. It's so crazy. Listen, I mean, you know, the Zuckerberg thing, getting into jujitsu and him showing up to tournaments and stuff. I didn't mind that. Mm. I was like, this guy, he lives life. He's yeah. a rich guy. I know a lot of people who train and do stuff like that. And it keeps him in great shape. And you can walk into a bar and now feel like you can headlock another man if you need to i know where this comes from good for you 
You know, we were supposed to be out hunting bears. Now you have to learn how to headlock someone. I get it. You know, so there was part of that where I'm like, this is just some dude's journey. And it's kind of interesting. And he seems to be humble about it and learning and stuff like that. I'm like, cool, you know. But now this is when it just this goes too far. Yeah. 100% always too far. Well, well, we've gone too far on that topic. Yeah. Benny, do you want to move reel on? Reel me a... back, please. Oh, reel you back in with a little baseball and a little mm. Shohei Otani. What's more uh, soothing to me than baseball? Very few uh, things. Well, Summer, baseball, sound of the bat. Oh. By the way, I uh, know that's not that's not necessary. Don't do it. All right. Don't do it. I, I know. <laughs> All right. Shohei Otani left the mound the other night muttering to himself after his 97th and final pitch ended in the sixth inning yeah. on a night where he looked drained he, physically and mentally. The Angels two-way superstar fought through fatigue. Um, you know, Otani's doing stuff at this point that is historically just crazy. Yet again, each and every week, we have something to bring up when it comes to this guy. Otani surpassed Babe Ruth in yet another measure of two-way transcendence, uh, becoming the first player in Major League history to have multiple seasons with both 10 victories and 10 homers. He's also the only player to record uh, 10, 10 wins and 40 homers in the same MLB season. So the Angels, uh, you know, they, they go all in on him. People applauded the sixty-seven uh, percent of Americans surveyed by you know the people that do this kind of thing were like that was a good move to do, and immediately uh, the Angels continued to slide, wasting yet another historic season from Otani. Uh, big ups for his accomplishment, but also like Anaheim, can we get this together, please? Listen, I think we all turned into fans for a couple weeks. You know how like like it's like you know I'm a Nets fan, right? So right now I'm in the process of talking myself into Darius Baisley as a 25 minute a night, really smart, low key piece for the Nets. It's going to put him in a different tier because I'm a fan and I want him to. It's not going to happen. I'm realistic, you know, but I get it. I think this happened with the Angels. What we wanted to see as fans, right, is this guy came to this team. This team was like, no, we don't want to let him go. We're going to get extra players. This is awesome. Now we're going to get better and make the playoffs. And now we're going to get to see Otani in the playoffs. Great, because that's what everybody wants. So we all sold ourselves on Randall Grichuk, uh, CJ Crone, Lucas Giolito, not a bad player, Ronaldo Lopez, we were like, oh, good. Even with Mike Trout out, Anthony Rendon being a shell of himself for like a half decade now. Uh, like, no, no, this will do it. They're going to be great now. And then they're like six games of this losing streak. And you actually see the lineup and you're like, oh, right, right, right. It's CJ Crone. It's Randall Grichuk. Like, they're okay. They're, they're decent, like, MLB baseball players. I'm not saying, like, these guys are bums, but they're not moving the needle in the, you know, especially in this race with, like, the Mariners fucking coasting and all these other great teams. You know, you're trying to get through the Mariners, the Astros, the Rangers, like, these fantastic teams, too. So I, I think that's what happened. And now it's like, now I can't help but go, like, peek my eye at the Nationals. And be like, oh, why do they have 50 wins right now? <laughs> They're not that bad. And a big part of that is 22-year-old C.J. Abrams coming up at short, 
like 24 year old Mackenzie Gore starting to have some really nice starts. Like that package they got back for Juan Soto is starting. <laughs> it's starting to play and it's good, you know, and there's a lot there and there's even more in the pipe. So, you know, the, the deeper and deeper we get into this and the more games the Angels lose, I go, yeah, I guess they should have traded him. Fuck. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I want as a fan. But if I'm running a, an office and you take your heart out of it, you know, like, and you start just using your brain, yeah, they probably should have traded him. It's so interesting because I feel like there's, there's two organizations in baseball right now. There's the people that are GMing the team like you did 15 years ago. And then there's the people that are like, no, like this is like, like a sum of all parts game. And if it's filling at the deadline, you build up for two more years from now, and then you could have some guys that can, can compete. Uh, that's, you know, the, the nationals, a bunch of these teams that have like done this, have sold these marquee guys that go on for these big contracts to other teams. And, you know, you start to see that the tide raise all boats, so to speak. So it's a, uh, it, it, it's very interesting what's happening right now. Big money, not the answer in major league baseball. Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, and it's, I mean, in a way, it's good for Major League Baseball because, like, they're going to have a very, very easy time having an NBA-ish offseason now. You know, where is Otani going to go? You know, I, literally, I think he's going to get a – Otani's agent's going to get a call from Rob Manfred being like, listen, even if you know where you want to go, please – Please string this out for a couple yeah. months. You know what I mean? Please. <laughs> and because it's going to be Otani mania, especially since it's going to be probably the largest contract in American North American sports history, I'm assuming. So can't wait. We, we will see what that looks like come the winter time. But let's talk about the NL MVP uh, because that thing has been heating up. You know, Smoking. it seemed seemed all season like it was going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. to lose. But man, Freddie Freeman, you know, has fought his way back up to here. Uh, you know, if, if you look at RBI totals, Freeman has 81 to Acuna's 68. Um, and if you look at, you know, diff how how their bats impact winning and, and uh, on base percentage, the, the edge also goes to Freeman there as well, you know, protecting the batters around him in the order. I want to know from you, you know, Acuna has been fantastic. Freeman coming on. Who do you give the MVP nod to in the NL? This is one of the more fun statistical anomaly like MVP races that I've ever seen right now. Because, I mean, listen to the comps. Freeman's hitting 345. Acuna's 340. OBP, Freeman 423. Acuna 422. Run scored, Freeman 101, Acuna 101. Freeman, 157 hits, Acuna 154. Uh, power numbers, Acuna's slight edge, 26 home runs to Freeman's 23. Uh, walk numbers, slight edge to Acuna. The only thing that actually really stands out from one another is the fact that Acuna has 53 steals to Freeman's 16. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about how much we think stolen bases affect winning. I mean, how much do you think stolen bases affect winning? Yeah, I think that they're a pretty significant part of the, 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 the equation. I mean, especially in uh, like, like they changed the entire rule for the pickoff because, you know, I, you know, it makes for a better TV product and also, Oh, like guys, you know, 
what what's the one baseball play we've talked about on this podcast all year? And it was uh, Elliot De La Cruz stealing home. That's so, right. Yeah, impact winning. So you know you have that like the normal things you would look for to kind of you know move the hands of justice here um, would be like oh okay like this guy's on a winning team this guy's not something like that they're both first in their division by a wide margin um, they're both in stacked lineups so you can't use that you know to anyone's credit or discredit like they're doing this on their own. You know, like how Aaron Judge just carried the Yankees on his back last year. Like Freddie Freeman's got a stacked lineup. He's got Mookie Betts hitting in front of him. Who's, if it wasn't for these other two guys, he'd be making a run at MVP this year. And then Acuna is in the lineup with Matt Olson, who's who's uh, the best power hitter in baseball this year. So you know, not to mention Ozzy Albia's and uh, you know, fucking uh, Austin Riley. Like that lineup is stacked. So they're both in first place. They're both in stacked lineups. Here's one thing that I think gives Acuna a slight edge besides for the stolen bases is he leads off. And putting these numbers up as a leadoff guy kind of has a different effect, right? Like, like it, it, I think it makes you stand out in the pack more. The fact that you're not only having this MVP season – you are far and away the best leadoff person in baseball, which is with numbers like this, I can't, you know, not start thinking about like Ricky Henderson and the impact, uh, you know, he had on, on, on winning and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and everything in that. And, you know, and then there's the other thing, which is Freddie Freeman's already won an MVP. He won in 2020. So, you know, Baseball wants marketing. Acuna is like one of their super fun young players. So at this point right now, I'm giving the slight edge to Acuna, even though that Freeman's having a you know historic season himself. I love it. Yeah, no, you got to spread spread the wealth. I, I, I don't know if uh, baseball writers are as uh, vindictive as NBA ones are, but NBA writers would be like, no contest. We got to anoint the new king, if you will. So. Yeah, and I think it's fun. Uh, and like... um. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, there's still a lot of baseball left. A lot of things can happen. So it always takes, uh, you know, one series where you go 0 for 12 and the other guy hits a few home runs to kind of move the needle quite a bit. So a lot of baseball to go. A lot of baseball, a lot of NFL training camp. And do you want to talk about the new king of New York, Mr. Aaron Rodgers? Mr. Hard Knocks himself. Mr. Hard Knocks. I love how the Jets were like, please, we don't want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> and the NFL's like, no, you have to. Yeah, you, know, you have, have no to. choice. Sorry, you're, shouldn't have signed Aaron Rodgers. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but they love the the attention down there on one Jets drive any way that they can get it. But you know, we're not going to talk about his football prowess today. I think he made the, maybe one of the most controversial decisions that he's made is where he decided to buy his house because this just shows he so. Aaron Rodgers buys his $9.5 million New Jersey crash pad where I'm sure he's just going to have uh, install underground bunkers so he can do his darkness <laughs> retreats and team get togethers there. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm an expert on New Jersey. Yes. So, and I don't know where he bought his house. I am fascinated to hear. What is it? What town? So, what shit Bergen County town? $9.5 million. Yeah. Uh, am I right? Shit Bergen County 11. town. Uh, it's a little closer to New York. 
it, he he is on the border of Montclair and Cedar Grove for nine point five million dollars. So he just wants to be on that New York City life right there. Is what you know what, what I'm hearing. I wanted to hate you. It's a very nice area oh. that I just could simply not afford to live. <laughs> um, no, it's you know what this actually kind of like fits in for Aaron Rodgers. The Montclair area has a little, uh, a little intellect. You know what I mean? Uh, it's got an art culture. It's got a music culture. There's some things going on down there that uh, I think lend to a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who you know likes to wear like uh, ponchos, you know, nice sweaters, and like um, you know he's going to want to go to a maybe he'll go to Montclair Film Festival next year and make a little appearance, you know, or something like that. Okay, I kind of like this. That's a nice. Wow. Nice, yeah, I, I approve. I approve. You know what Montclair has? They got a veggie heaven. Okay. Well, they there we go. And I know you're been bought off by food. You know you're like uh, you got to know that veggie heaven for a vegetarian in the '90s in New Jersey was a very (laughs) important place. If you wanted mock meat, yeah, you had to drive like an hour and fifteen minutes to Route 46 in Parsippany (laughs) to taste it. It was it was a thing, you know. Yeah. So the veggie heaven in Montclair. There's a lot of I've had a lot of good times in Montclair. Yeah. So no, yeah, it's fun. I uh, it's fun. Bloomfield Ave Cafe. You right. know, had a lot of great times there. I've played a lot Love of good shows the there. Pig. The Wellmont Theater, not That's so right. bad. Decent food. You got Frank Isola up the hill. Maybe they'll they'll have the glass of wine together. Maybe, maybe, maybe him, him, him and Scal can get together and have a, have, have some fun. You know, half his agents probably live there or like, around uh, that, there. That's, so that's and like, that's where he is. He, his yeah. agents were not coming to just North of Kohler in Wisconsin where, where he lived for yeah. all that time. Like, what do you want him to, to go to? Like, do you want him to go to Lynnhurst? Like, you know, this is, that's, it's all right. It's a good drive for sure everything he has to cool. do. Not bad. You know, Decent but I'm sure he's tired of having his palatial state. By the way, got a fuck. When was the last time you played in Montclair? I imagine it's been a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess well, like when Gaslight played the Wellmont Theater, like yeah. which was you know early 2010s, I think. So I actually got a. We um we were still in the van life when we played that show. Wow. And we were going to be we were coming home from a tour, I think, and we had leftover merch. And the van was packed out. So I had to pack my personal car with boxes and boxes of Gaslight merch, got pulled over and got written a ticket on the way out of town. So oh. that was actually a negative Montclair oh. experience oh. that time. Oh. Yeah. I, I love it. All right. Well, one last story today. It's not Montclair. It's not New Jersey related. You know, we just got to get in, in, in our bag for two seconds. You know, we talked about Quincy Doobie and Montclair today. I think we're good. On, so on Jersey, New, New Jersey front. Yeah. But uh, actually, you got two more quick ones and, right. and, and we'll do a, a fielder's choice for you. Benny, do you want to talk conference realignment or Giannis be, still being plagued by his injury? Uh, I think conference realignment is probably okay. a little more apropos. Let's Sounds good. Yeah. Well, this, uh, I, I don't know if you've been following this stuff, but this conference I realignment am. stuff is absolutely crazy. Uh, we're, we're not going to run through everything because, you know, it's it's a uh, what's that three card Monty? We're like the, <laughs> that they play at the. Yeah. Yeah. Where with 
teams entering conferences, leaving conference, going this way, going that way, doing all of the things. Essentially, the Pac-12 is on the edge of ruin. They only have four teams left. Uh, the Big 12, as, as compared to what we talked about last year, is back from the dead and seems to be a player. The Big 10 and the SEC seem to be the two big juggernauts when it comes to teams in it and everything like that. Um, you know, you've got Big 10 country now stretches from Rutgers all the way out to Westwood, which is unbelievable to me. Yeah. It's um, poor field hockey players. That's right. And like <laughs> gymnastics, fencing, all that yeah, stuff. That shit sucks. But that actually brings me to my question when it comes to this. Do you think that these big time football schools that have made this like a billion dollar plus business need to just make their football teams, these private entities out of the NCAA jurisdiction and just give people the true version of semi-professional football on Saturdays that they're so desperately crazy. You know, like probably not because I got to assume a lot of these sub programs and sport, like, you know, does the Alabama, you know, volleyball team, do they like, um, you know, basically, do they get to reap the benefits of Alabama football being what it is and the merch and the things like that? Yeah, probably. They probably get better accommodations, better facilities, better everything for all the other student athletes as a result. So as much as I hate to ever uh, invoke trickle down economics as something that works, because that this is a tool of power I try not to uh, utilize. But in this case, like, are they better off? No, probably not. And that's one of the reasons I think that you can't pull it and make it separate, even though it seems obvious. Here's one of my big questions. Like, when is the Big Ten going to grow a sack and stop with the 10? Oh, wow. Branding. I mean, Branding we're up to what? We're 18? <laughs> 20 almost. 20. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's just foolishness at this point. I know you named it the B10 network and stuff like that. And you got some branding going on, but like you got to go SEC style and just come up with a different name that makes a little more sense. Cause it's fucking stupid. It's been stupid for a while. Like um, I'm, I'm a little upset to see the PAC 12 like this, you know, like I grew up with uh, particularly like, you know, UCLA basketball being such a huge thing. You, you, USC football, you have, uh, you know, the, you know, Stanford stuff and all the, um, you know, the, the, the band running onto the field and all this like fun historical stuff. So like, I do think whenever something like this changes, just like when the big East got fucked, there's like a whole history and a time of rivalry and cool things that just kind of gets disposed of, which is like kind of a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I've been through this as someone who who was like just a massive Big East fan. And you can you know? still be. It's a Yeah, but I was here for Georgetown Rutgers. I wanted it twice a year, you know, like this is my thing. And, and I don't it get back. it anymore, you know. I mean, um, that's a choice. You know, Seton Hall Rutgers not being a a conference battle is 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 Again, ridiculous to me. A big you know? choice on on your part ridiculous you could have it just don't play football yeah so so that's what i think i mean it is what it is it's going to keep happening this realignment stuff's been happening from the day i started getting into college sports it's gonna but you know i do think there's a lot of conversation on the end game here and you know what exactly we're doing especially since 
I, I mean, essentially, I think the Pac-12 disbanded because they couldn't get an appropriate TV contract, and that's it. So, you know, like, where, where are we at if that's really the impetus? I'm not sure. Yeah, and it, it's very interesting to see what those remaining four schools could do. Uh, there's been rough talks with the ACC, which would be interesting. You know, adding... It, it, it's so funny when when Florida State was talked about adding your Stanford's and, and Cal's and stuff like that and flying all the way out there. These Stanford's one of the most prestigious academic institutions in the country. And he's like, it's a net zero for us when it comes to making a business decision. How sad is that that Florida State, a school that could doesn't really care about academics, cares more about the football program and everything way more. It's like, yeah, adding adding a school like that with a big uh endowment investing all that stuff yeah that's not good for us florida state looking down at stanford that's where we are right now now i'm also wondering now you know a school like stanford that has such pedigree in other areas you know what i mean like 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 who cares about stanford you know football but they have like you know a, a science program or you know and stuff like that does stanford go the way of notre dame you know, do they just take themselves out of the mix, get their own TV contracts and become this separate entity? I mean, that's also a, a path that some of these schools with their own kind of built in culture maybe have a chance to take also. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, the other interesting thing was the 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 southern schools. So your Arizona, your Arizona states, when all this, they moved to the Big 12. Now, Colorado is also going to the Big 12. Uh, I don't think, you know, I, I think when we look back at this further, uh, look at the impact of Deion Sanders kind of saving Colorado from like <laughs> really being in the Stanford Cal conversation. Oh, yeah. That was a lost cause. So Yeah, that's a good point. Neon Dion keeping it coming. That. Look at that. No white, about... socks. <laughs> no white socks. No white Get socks. Get out of my locker room. He's bringing Louie. He's bringing Louie to Boulder. So, all right. <laughs> it, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but would you make the sojourn out to Hollywood to see Rutgers UCLA on a Tuesday night? <laughs> no, of course not. I might be into it because then I'll actually get to watch it. Because yeah. uh, you know it'll be on at a. I do watch a lot of West Coast sports, <laughs> but no, that's. I mean, that's the thing. It's going to be crazy, and you're trying. I mean, take it as a, from a Nets fan, like it takes generations to build real fandom and rivalries and stuff like that. So it's like, how long is it fucking going to take for Rutgers and USC or UCLA to actually form some kind of rivalry decades. And by the time they actually do it, they're going to realign again. So that's where, you know, this, there is a cap to this stuff where, I mean, when is it going to stop and when do you actually lose fans as a result? You know? Well, when you want to get serious about basketball again, Madison Square Garden, every March, join us. The yeah. water's warm. All right. <laughs> ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Follow us on all the social platforms at the tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel that you've already been watching already. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to follow Benny, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. Uh, got the big little Steven shout out. Didn't even bring that up today. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> All right. I am at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah. Hey, Denny, it's a pleasure doing this show with you. Oh. I hope you have a great week, you know? Thank you. Should You're welcome. Good. 
The show has ended. Go in peace. Everybody love everybody. You've been listening to there and watching go. the tune-up. Seriously, someone's got to do it.